So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Easy Conversations. I just want to start off by saying thanks to everyone who listened to the last episode featuring the homies Matt and Basam. Basam, thanks a lot for joining Matt and I, and uh, we look forward to catching up with you again down the road. So now for episode 36 of Easy Conversations. Extremely excited, of course, to have Matt along with me. Matt, say what's up to the people. What's up, everybody? Hope everyone's staying safe and uh, happy that the warm weather is back. Yeah, nice little heat wave in Ottawa. No complaints, though. And for this episode, our guests were extremely excited to bring on a man who I think has traveled the most in all of the guests that we've had on so far, has recently developed a passion for painting that I'd like to get into later in the episode, and has come on to share some life stories, lessons learned along the way. So without further ado, introducing our uncle, Pat Smith. Say what's up to the people. Uh, hello, Eric. Hello, Matt. What's up, people? I think that's what I'm supposed to say. Yeah, it's dealer's choice. <laughs> so, um, as mentioned earlier, we'll be brushing over some of um, Pat's travel stories and some lessons learned along the way, like I mentioned, and then getting into some of his artwork later on, because that's something that I don't really see much nowadays on Instagram. No one that I really follow is posts work, beautiful works of art like our uncle does, so they're very interesting to me and uh, excited to get into that as well. So um, on the topic of travel, we're going to have a free flow of discussion. And uh, Pat, just lead us off here. Um, where would you like to take us on the topic of traveling? Well, thank you very, very much. And I, I gave this some thought. I uh, didn't know exactly uh, how to... Um, you know, where to start, I thought chronologically would be good, and then I thought by region might be uh, helpful. But instead, I've chosen a particular um, misadventure, I'll, uh, I'll uh, call it that, uh, to lead off with, because I think it makes a point that I'm excited to make and then have you guys uh, uh, come back on. So I'm going to take you uh, maybe a little advisory to the, uh, to the audience right now. Uh, I'm, I'm going back in time quite a bit here. This first story is going to go back to 1974. Um, I'm going to obviously say things from time to time that may not be accurate to, to the, you know, to the point uh, of being the right date or the right moment. But um, I've, I've double-checked on... Uh, some of the things I've written over the years about these trips and some of the uh, pictures that I've taken. And what's most important is that the essential is, is, is truth. Uh, so if I stumble on a couple of uh, dates, etc., I'll, I'll also be making some cultural references, and they date back to at any time, guys, if you want to, who's that, or what are you talking about, who's that guy, uh, go, go ahead, please uh, uh, ask me to, uh, to clarify. So, yeah, here we go. I'm uh, going back to 1974, and I want to give you some background context to, the, uh, to this, uh, uh, again, I'll repeat myself, misadventure. So in 1974, I was in my fourth year, third year of uh, teaching. I was uh, 25 years old. Uh, I was uh, a bit lost, uh, pretty confused. I didn't know where my professional life was going. I wasn't getting from teaching what I kind of expected I would be getting. So I'm just setting the tone here. I was feeling pretty low at about this point. But we were approaching uh, March break, and um, I was looking forward to it, although I didn't have any plans. 
However, just by accident, I bumped into some uh, some uh, old friends. Uh, they weren't close friends. As a matter of fact, they were all pretty much older than I was, or four or five years older than I was, so around 30-ish. And after a couple of um, uh, beers one night, uh, they said, hey, what are you doing for March break? And I said, I have no plans. So they said, well, we've got a Winnebago, and there's room for one more, which would bring us to a total of eight guys in a Winnebago. How would you like to come down to Daytona Beach with us? Uh, it didn't take too long to say yes to that one. Uh, I, was, I was ready for that. I needed something. And so um, very quickly, we, um, we, you know, March break came along, and we jumped into Winnebago, and the story begins here, I guess. Uh, you know, we'd have a driver. It was a huge, huge vehicle. We'd have a driver, uh, a, a, a co-pilot, and then we had the little table where three or four people would be playing cards, and then we had bedrooms where, you know, three or four people would be sleeping. And we just constantly, uh, you know, circulated and, and made our way down to straight without stopping. We had a little accident, as a matter of fact. We got clipped and uh, et, et cetera, but we, we made it down to Daytona Beach and uh, pulled into the campsite that we had reserved. And no sooner got out of the, the Winnebago that the, the big uh, speakers were, were calling for hurricane winds to, so that we had to strap things down and make sure, you know, things didn't get out of hand. So we did, and uh, it felt like, uh, oh boy, what a bad start to, to our holiday. But on the first day, of course, uh, we got up, the sun was shining, we rented a car, we drove to the beach, the waves were coming in, the palm trees were swaying, the music was blaring out of the cars, the bikinis were walking up and down the beach. It was just, everyone was everybody's best friend, you know? It was uh, uh, fraternity, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was uh, worth, uh, worth the drive and worth the, you know, the, the, the hassle of getting there. And so uh, that night, the first night, we started what would be a regular thing, downtown to the Strip, into the bars, more music, lots of partying, uh, having a great time. Um, everything that you can imagine to be a March break with that age bracket uh, at that time. And then it was about, uh, so about midweek when I'm going to come to a point here uh, that um, is a turning point for me. About midweek, Diz, Diz, I won't say Diz's last name, but what a great name, eh, Diz. And it's his real name, D-I-Z, Diz. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Anyways, Diz and I got separated from the group, and uh, so we missed the car ride back to the campsite. And it was the wee hours of the morning, and we're feeling no pain, but uh, we managed to grab a cab. And uh, so we jumped in the cab. I, I got in the back. Diz got in the front. The cab driver, and I hope you don't have too many uh, American listeners because I'm going to describe the stereotype. Uh, he, was, uh, he, was, he was an American, right? And he was from southern uh, part of that country, and so he knew little about anything but his region. So when we got in, it was, he wasn't, obviously wasn't Texan, but he was one of these y'all guys, right? And he said, uh, so where are y'all going? So we, we named the campsite. He says, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get down there. Yeah. Where are you all from? So, oh, we're from Ottawa. Where's that? You know, the, the, the typical <laughs> yeah. response. Like Ottawa. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you all having a good time? Yeah, yeah, we're having a good time. And at this point, Diz kind of surprised me. He said, yeah, yeah, we're having a, a, a fairly good time, but 
be a lot better if I, I suppose if we could score some weed. Now I'm, I'm using the vernacular of the day, right? I'm, I'm sure today it's not referred to as I'm going to refer to it now, but I'm going to use terms like roaches and, uh, and nickels and dimes, et cetera. And I know it's all different no, uh, vocabulary today. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so, so it did surprise me with that question and I kind of uh, stopped. And, and uh, so uh, the cab driver said, well, what do you all think and uh, how much? What, what do you all want? So, you know, Diz said, well, won't you, a nickel, a dime. And in those days, that was a package with, for $5 in a transparent bag or, or a $10 bag. And uh, so he, the cab driver pulls the taxi off to the side of the road. And it's, it's dark. It's a neat little setting. There's, you know, palm trees waving over the top of us and stuff like that. He says, you all come to the right place. So he gets out of the car, and he goes to the trunk, opens the trunk, takes out a briefcase, you know, one of those hardcover briefcases. And he comes, comes back to the, the front seat. He gets in the front seat, puts the briefcase down. I can still remember this vividly. Puts the briefcase down, and he turns on the light at the top of the, you know, the little light, the little spotlight thing. And, you know, like I'm... I'm perched up on the on the seat now looking down like this, right? And Diz is there and the cab driver is there and he's turned on the lightning. Thud, thud. And the, the case opens up. And I look inside and like there's there's tons of stuff in there. Uh, and of course in the States in those days, uh, I think, I'm not sure who the president was, but it was a very repressive uh, drug uh, setting. So, you know, it there was a... Lifetime in jail, right? <laughs> Staring us in this in this uh, in this briefcase. So he says, "Yeah, yeah, I've got this kind and that kind and whatever gold and Acapulco this and Lebanese that and <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and so uh, he says. But if you want a sample uh, before using, boys, and he started, you know, going around into the into the bags looking for. He said, "I've got a couple of roaches down here somewhere and." And I was looking down, that's, that's when I saw it. At first, just a little flash of metal. Uh, but the small town kid in me got wide-eyed and I said, can you use F-bombs on the... <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I said, holy fuck, you've got a gun there. <laughs> and... He, he looked at me and he says, yeah, 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 everybody's got a gun down here. And then he reached down to take the gun. Well, those few seconds between him taking the gun and holding it in his hand and finally finding out what he was going to do with the gun um, was an eternity. I felt like fainting, puking, running, dying, hitting him. I didn't know what to do. But he picked up the gun, and he, and he just turned it around like that, and he looked at Diz, and he goes, bang. No. Oh, my God. And then he giggles and puts it back in the, into, the, into the, the, the briefcase. 
So that's that's the high point of this moment. I'm not gonna, you know, the, the happy ending. We smoked a bit. Uh, we bought a dime. Uh, we got back to the to the campsite, but something happened there that um, qualified travel for me. And for me, you can displace yourself physically and go somewhere. And like in this case, you know, the Winnebago, the cards, the drinking, the beaches, the bars, the music, the partying, that to me was all vacationing. It was all physical. It was all visceral. It was all uh, mindless. But as soon as I saw that gun, the game notched up. It notched up because this travel experience had a moment, I'll call it an event, where I was grabbed by the shoulders and I was shaken and I was, uh, I was changed. I would never be the same. You know, I'd gone to university and gone to a high school university and, you know, we sat in circles and we had uh, academically discussed the gun culture in, in, in America. And it was, it was all um, just exactly that. It was academic. No one had really uh, felt the fear of a, of a gun uh, in those discussions. But now I had felt that and I would, I don't know if I want to call it a rite of passage I don't know if I'll, it's a loss of innocence um, or just the evolution of, of, of whoever you're becoming, you're evolving, but that event changed me. And so for me and for the rest of what we're going to do tonight in a conversation, I'm not going to be talking about places and selfies in front of the Eiffel Tower, but I'm going to be talking about events that uh, I feel are an important part of travel. And, and that event, in my mind, doesn't have to be dangerous. Uh, like this one felt dangerous to me. Uh, it can be exhilarating. It can be uh, uh, funny. But it's the event that I think enriches the travel. And without the event, it's just a vacation. And there's nothing wrong with that. But again, I want to focus on uh, that, 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 well, you didn't think you'd get through this podcast without me quoting Bob Dylan, right? <laughs> no, we didn't expect that. <laughs> well, uh, I look for, in my travels, I look for something that, in Bob's words, rattles your windows and shakes down your walls. That's what I'm looking for in, in travel. Uh, ironically, when you go looking for it, sometimes that's when it just doesn't show up. you got to let it happen. But anyways, I don't know how you guys feel about... about, uh, about event versus um, location, uh, but that's where I'm going to start things off. Crazy story, first of all. A uh, mm -hmm. lot to dissect there. I mean, like you said, it's um, kind of a coming-of-age story. Like, Matt and I love those in, um, in cinema, and that, I mean, you're 25, but still, coming-of-age doesn't end at a certain age. Like, it doesn't only apply to people in their teens right like those are dramatic life events that like like you said changed your perception and perspective on life like you're talking about the theoretical versus the practical which in university like, those people haven't lived though that kind of experience you hadn't until that moment right so 
in that sense, it was a much like literally a real experience, right? Um, you have to collect my thoughts a little, Matt. What were your initial impressions on uh, the story? Well, a couple of things. Uh, one, I would probably have the same reaction as you, Pat. Like mm-hmm. sitting in that cab, like oh. feels like an, those two seconds felt like feeling like an eternity. And I have to agree with you guys on the event uh, versus location debate because when I just briefly, when I was in Washington D.C. by myself. The stuff I remember the most, and that was like eight years ago, but what I remember the most is those little culture shocks I got and stuff I never knew existed and experienced firsthand and not like going in front of like the White House or the Washington Monument, just like the little things like that. Nowhere near as bad as your experience, uh, Pat, but yeah. Yeah, and that's why I chose this one because it is a fairly dramatic and it makes that that key point. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't, I, again, I don't uh, f- look for danger, obviously, but uh, I, I look for something that takes me outside of my routine, that, um, that shakes my foundations a bit, that uh, challenges uh, my belief structure, uh, that takes me out of my comfort zone or my smugness, if I can call it that. And uh, that's what what we call everyday life, all of those things. Uh, But travel is that opportunity, for me anyways, to, uh, yeah, get turned upside down and given a little shake and and have a look at life in a different way. So now, whenever the the term gun culture comes out in a a discussion, um, I feel it. Uh, and, uh, and I have strong opinions, and uh, I don't know if you want to go that route, but I maybe very quickly say, for example, that in, in, in this age of, of uh, uh, COVID, uh, there is another disease in, in the States, and it has infected a great percentage of their people, and that is their love of guns. And um, every time, you know, an, a new um, tragedy occurs on television, and unfortunately, innocent oftentimes children are victims, I think to myself, you know, I, 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 I ache for the victims, but how many thousands of these do you, do you have before you do something about it in the States? And unfortunately, my jaded conclusion right now is they're too far gone. It's in the, guns are in their blood. And this guy, this guy, I just have to remember his eyes and his laughter and bang, bang. And I'm going, wow, that's not my world. And that guy's going to have children and his children will inherit that, that disease. Sorry, didn't want to get heavy. No, no, uh, you hit the nail on the head there. And um, it's it's important to talk about, right? Like, unless... (laughs) they do something to change their culture there. It's not going to change. And I agree with you. I think they are too far gone. Like it's in their DNA at this point. Um, But I like the point that you said about looking for stuff outside your comfort zone when traveling. And like you said, that's the best place to do it, right? Because you're literally leaving your comfort zone in your home to go to another country, even to another city to experience different things. And just quickly me back in the day, how I like to travel I enjoyed going to resorts with my family. Like that's all I knew up until I was around like 20 something, 21. I think it's the last time I went to a resort before I got to go to the UK, which I've already talked about quite a bit on the pod there. So I don't need to get fully into it again. 
But before then, it's for me, vacation travel was like you described it earlier. It was just partying, um, like drinking, having a good time, not really. Obviously, you're getting good moments in there, like good stories, interactions with the people you meet and stuff. But I find it's completely different when you're stepping outside to a world that's brand new to you. Like, well, I guess I could talk about it again. My When I went to the UK, like I was super nervous going there alone and I jumped into a circle of people waiting at the airport all to go on the bus to my school. I was nervous. Like, and I, I think back then I was a little more shy than I am now. So to me, that me living abroad was definitely one of the key moments in my life, coming of age, if you will, to really get me to be more outgoing and easygoing in those kind of situations I was definitely uncomfortable in. And I, I honestly stepped in there, no problem, was like not to brag, but really like I clicked with everyone there instantly. So it was just huge for that affirmation for me to know like, okay, yeah, I can do this. And since then, like I haven't really looked back. I've traveled alone with people I barely know. And that's the beauty of traveling at the end of the day is that all it takes is a group of people who are all there for the same reason to enjoy something that's foreign to them, new. And like you said, again, Pat, you can't be looking for those moments, those special moments It has to just happen. Like one to me, that's pretty classic. And one of my favorite trips is when I went to um, an island called Tenerife. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's in like the Canary Islands region. It was with my friend Dave and um, I had never heard of this place. He kept texting me about it while we were in the UK. He kept saying, okay, we got to go to this island. And I'm like, sure. Okay. I just went with him. We weren't that close at the time either. So we went alone and then got there, got to our hostel, beautiful tropical island. We went to Burger King right away, just crushed some beers, had a <laughs> nice like, whopper and then walked down to our hostel. And we were going to, I don't even know what our plans were for the night. We were going to take it easy, I think. But then we got to the hostel and there were eight people sleeping in the room with us. So there were three people there who were going out for dinner themselves. And they asked us if we wanted to come with them. I was a little iffy, to be honest. It was Dave who said like, yeah, let's go like right away. And I was like, all right, like we don't know these people. I don't know if I really want to be a part of this. But then three more of them came in. We were eight strangers. They didn't even know each other either. They had just met like that day in the morning. So we went out for tapas, like ate a bunch of Spanish um, appetizers there and sharing food with these people, like eating off each other's plates, as crazy <laughs> as that sounds. And it's just, like, yeah. that, that's the beauty of traveling is that you, you, you don't even know these people, but you trust them and you, like, you trust that they're going to take you somewhere where you're going to have a magical night with them. And then we got Pong cups at like a little beat down store played beer pong on the roof of our hostel and then went out like that's the latest I've ever gone out we got back at our hostel at like six in the morning and that was like that was a crazy night for me like that that's one I'll always remember yeah, um, yeah. so yeah that's my travel story no near-death yeah. experience in there but um, yeah and 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 again I repeat I, I I don't I don't want to glamorize that that event but I thought it would be a good uh strong um story to to make that point of the event versus the location and the uh yeah yeah so i yeah, know that's the beauty of and we did karaoke too i still remember the songs we did by the way by uh, red hot chili peppers yeah. it's pretty fun 
yeah. yeah, no, it's just like those are the moments you really remember with the people I find you meet and uh, you can't be looking for it. Like I definitely wasn't in the at the moment. Um, it just happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, do you want me to move on to another uh, misadventure? I don't know, Matt. Is there anything you'd want to add on that topic of just... Um, I don't know, like it gives you a different appreciation for life too when you get in some run-ins. It doesn't have to be travel-related either. I'm trying to think, like, have you ever gotten in an experience where like maybe life flashed before your eyes off the top, Matt? I don't know uh, if I have. I, I, can think, I can't think off the top, but uh, while uh, Pat's telling his second misadventure, I'll, I'll think of something. Okay. Yeah, yeah. let's do it. So, so there's a, a, a parallel, uh, Eric, in, in our lives. You, uh, you went overseas and stayed for a year uh, to study. Uh, and um, I, I told you that I was in my third or fourth year of teaching uh, for this uh, f- um, uh, Winnebago trip. Uh, and uh, when I got into my um, fourth year of teaching, uh, an opportunity came up and Though it, uh, it required more experience than I had, I, I applied for it. And that was to teach overseas in, uh, in Germany. Uh, and uh, I, I still remember getting the phone call from the principal who was hiring staff on, by phone. And him saying to me, uh, after a chat of about 20 minutes, he said, uh, well, listen, this is like a handshake. I'm going to ask you a question now. Um, and if you answer yes, it's like a, it's a binding legal acceptance of the job. Would you like to come and teach in Germany? And again, I don't think there was a microsecond pause. I said yes. And so I ended up going to Germany for three years. And uh, so that opened up all kinds of travel uh, opportunities. And we, we might come back to the Germany thing, but in, in this, in this uh, misadventure, I'm actually, uh, it's my post-Germany back here in Canada. Uh, so in Germany, uh, I got to love biking. And uh, so we didn't have a TV, and it's amazing what the absence of a television uh, did for your uh, socializing. So you, you did stuff with people. And uh, so we would uh, bike after work, and we would bike on weekends, and we went to Corsica and biked around all the nude beaches and uh, uh, of, of that island, <laughs> and and we biked, you know, all the time. And and I bought a beautiful uh, Peugeot there and uh, took it home with me. And when we got home, or before we got home in Germany, uh, uh, one of these guys, um, I sense I sense you're a, a lot like this. Uh, his name was Dennis Beach. We called him Denis La Plage. Uh, but he, he was a, a go-getter, and he, he organized things. And he said to us, he says, listen, when we get back, I'm going to organize a bike trip in Canada. We're going to get together again. So we all said, yeah, sure. Okay. So it's 1980. Oh, I better check my dates here. 1981, I believe. And uh, um, I get uh, a phone call. Uh, and and basically, we're on. I said, on for what? He says, well, there, there's going to be 10 of us. We're going to bike, going to bike together. I said, where? He said, uh, we're going to bike from Calgary to Vancouver. I, not, not, geography's not my strongest uh, um, uh, <laughs> uh, sort of knowledge-based thing, but immediately what came to mind, I said to him, I said, Dennis, you know that between Calgary and Vancouver, there's approximately 600 kilometers of mountains called the Rocky Mountains. And he said, uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to do it. Everybody wants to do it. 
So I'm going to fast forward, and at basically the end of the school year, the very beginning of June, off we go. We fly out. I put my bike on Air Canada, and we fly out to Calgary. And we meet at a, uh, a, a, a fellow that we met overseas. His name is Joe Forzani. Does that name ring a bell with you guys? Um, not off the top, no. No. Okay. So he, he was a, a secondary school teacher, uh, but that was after his CFL football uh, career. He played for the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, he, he, may have, he may even be in the Canadian Football League Hall of Fame. I'm not sure. Anyways, uh, so still a young man when he was teaching with us. Uh, and he said, come to my place. Oh, and by the way, this is the same Forzani that uh, became the Forzani group that uh, uh, owned Sports Check. So okay. he, uh, he, he uh, sold that to Canadian Tire and, 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 and uh, quickly uh, um, leapt <laughs> in value uh, from his teacher's salary to uh, you know, a multi-million, multi-million dollar uh, lifestyle after that. Decent but anyways, at, <laughs> at, 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 this, uh, at this point, he had invited us all. We all met at Joe Forzani's in Calgary. And we, you know, I say we. They partied because about two weeks before leaving, I was uh, experiencing some pain. And, and, and without giving you too much information, I went to my doctor and I discovered that I had a flare-up of prostate, uh, prostatitis, uh, which uh, makes bike riding a bit of a challenge, you know. It's, it's inflamed <laughs> and it's in pain. And so immediately he said, okay, no chocolate, no caffeine, no alcohol. And I just looked at him and I said, well, wow, no fun. Eh? He said, no. And uh, I was heading out and there was going to be a lot of partying going on, but I couldn't drink. So we ended up partying at Joe Forzani's and then we got up and left uh, on our bikes, 10 of us, and off into the, the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. And it was just kind of like a rolling landscape. And I remember looking back and seeing the mist uh, of that early morning over the, the, the foothills and 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 taking note of how flat the area that Calgary is in, really flat. And so we biked and we biked and we biked. Uh, so again, the whole trip was about 600 uh, kilometers and most of it was uphill, as you can imagine. And so the first three or four days, uh, you know, were a struggle. It was tough. It was a challenge. And... Uh, it was, uh, we were, put, let me put it this way, I wasn't all that optimistic about <laughs> finishing this trek. And as a matter of fact, on the fourth day, uh, we knew that the next day we would be going over one of our biggest challenges, and that was what's known as Rogers Pass. So I don't know how familiar you are with the Rockies, but Rogers Pass is the highest peak for, for the roadway there. Uh, I believe it's something like 1,300 meters but, uh, uh, of elevation. But it's, it's an incredibly, uh, we knew it was going to be a challenge. But we were idiots because I'd even gone there without training and without a helmet. And I was on my, uh, still had hair then, so I, I loved the feeling of my hair and the wind. But uh, I soon got a helmet. Um, anyways, so we knew that the next morning we had to do Rogers Pass and that was going to be our greatest challenge. So... Uh, People stayed fairly sober that night. We had uh, uh, been told that there was an outstanding truck stop restaurant uh, by the side of the road. So we got up at around 6.30 and we we're in the truck stop by about uh, 
uh, seven o'clock and we were just eggs and bacon and coffee and bread and anything that we could put in and you know all getting ready and and then the 10 of us out in the in the driveway or not the driveway the parking lot of the restaurant afterwards just before we go because at that time uh technology wasn't wasn't as advanced as it was then and we all believed that a, a good scoop of vaseline and rubbing it in, in your butt was going to help you out uh in terms of sore buttness <laughs> I don't know if it worked, but in our minds, it was something that we do. And I still remember people coming into that truck stop and, and seeing 10 guys with their hands in their pants, you know, rubbing, <laughs> <laughs> rubbing themselves uh, uh, pretty, pretty violently. Uh, anyways, so I, I do remember my first uh, feeling at about 7.30 in the morning as we left the restaurant was that, oh, wow, I've got, I've got to drop gears here. I got to go from, I'm in, I'm in four, I got to get off that sprocket and get down into three, two, one. Wow, I'm not even a hundred meters out of the restaurant, right? And maybe 10, 15 minutes into the ride, I'm standing. I'm standing on my bike. Like, like you're standing up in low gear, trying to get that bike to edge up this, oh, this slope. I mean, I, it is, I've never, anyways, hour one went by and I'm going, oh, this is incredible. Hour two went by, hour three. Now I know, I know you guys work out and I know there's a, there's a section of your workout you call the burn, right? Oh, yeah. Finish yeah. strong. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, after three hours, I'm now around 10 o'clock. Every pedal is a burn. God, it's yeah, a it burn. Sounds like it. It's a burn. And it was like, uh, I was starting to get desperate. And then at about 11 o'clock, so we're about four hours into this, I'm running on empty, on just on fumes right now. And I'm thinking, when is this going to end? When are we going to get there? You know, are we there yet type of thing? But, ah, uh, finally, I see a sign up ahead. And that sign fills me with hope and 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 a good feeling and it's you know it's it's a it's a ways away yet but i say to myself oh thank god there's an arrival of some type and so you know we're all kind of like oh there it is <laughs> well think of the most disappointing moment in your life <laughs> multiply it by 100 because when that sign came into focus, it read, Welcome, you are now entering Rogers Pass. No. <laughs> <laughs> we sat down under that sign. I've got pictures. I was looking at them yesterday. I even called a friend to reminisce about this and see if my facts were straight. And, and uh, we just laughed and, 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 and couldn't believe what idiots we were. But that was a very quiet lunch because we didn't know how much further we had to go. But it ended up being another eight hours before we reached the top of Rogers Pass. It is by far the most physical, physically proud moment of my life. I'd, I'd never done anything like this. And I never will. <laughs> I, ne yeah, I never did since. I was 30 years old about. Uh, but I'd never done anything and would never do anything again like this. But we're at the top, and it was sheer euphoria. 
Now, I asked my friend Ken yesterday, Ken, do you remember throwing snowballs up there? And he said, no, I don't. But anyways, I think we were. Uh, and we ended up, uh, you know, being in time to have a couple of beers. I think I even cheated and had a couple of beers that night. And we got up the next morning, and of course, it was reverse euphoria the next morning. On the next morning was the other side of Rogers Pass. And I checked the data on this, and guys, it was 21 kilometers downhill. Oh, Switchbacks and hairpin turns all the way downhill. And the, 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 the grueling work of the, of the previous day turned into this uh, high of just letting go, but also constantly breaking. And I remember looking down uh, at, at my bike and, and braking just to keep the bike in control and not lose control. Because uh, if you lost control, you lost it. I was going <laughs> to say, like, what's you're, your you're, outlook if you lose control? <laughs> like, are you done? Yeah. Uh, there are some spots, uh, Eric, I'm going to tell you very truthfully, yeah, you're done. Whew. Uh, and there were a couple of things uh, Ken reminded me yesterday. They also had these off-ramps for when trucks lost control. And the off-ramps, what they would do, the trucks, is if the brakes weren't working enough, the brakes would, uh, they would, the truck would go on the off-ramp. The off-ramp went straight up like that, and gravity would just stop them, you know. So there was also that thought of being, because there's a lot of lumber trucks there, and you're going down. And I remember looking at that little brake wire and, and saying, that little wire is what you're depending on here yeah. <laughs> to, to, uh, to, uh, for, your, for your life. And also, at the time, those were beautiful bikes, but the, the, the brake pads uh, were just like little rubber things. And we all had to change them. We all had to replace them when we got down uh, 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 on the other side of Rogers Pass. Uh, that's when we, at the bottom of the other side, 21 kilometers downhill, that's when I bought a helmet. And that's when five guys <laughs> when five guys quit the trip they said oh. we're not we're not we're not finishing uh, and they said um so they called their wives they were they lived they were all from vancouver ken the guy i was talking to yesterday we knew he was going to be leaving uh at a certain point but these guys said that's it not going to be able to handle this. We still have Kicking Horse Pass, which has an even worse sounding uh, uh, feel to it than, than Rogers Pass. Kicking Horse Pass was, was a, a second high pass. And, uh, it, but having done one, you kind of knew what to expect. And I, I, I don't have any vivid ma uh, uh, memories of, of, of Kicking Horse. But I'm, I'm going to finish this story, guys, by saying that um, it took us 16 days. Ten of us started. Uh, over 600 kilometers, four of us finished. I was one of them. And in my mind, after I heard the guys saying they called their wives and the wives are coming to get them, I started imaging. And imaging was something my father taught me when I played hockey. And you see goaltenders do it all the time too. Where they sit on the side of the, and you see them going like this. And my, my dad always said, uh, uh, from the uh, driving on to the game, he would say, so... Last minute of play, puck's on your stick. Uh, you're going over their blue line. What do you do? Tell me. And so I, I had to not imagine. I had to image it. You had to see yourself doing it. And that's what those goaltenders do, I, I think. It's, it's, it's a practice that, that um, athletes uh, uh, use. So I imaged myself finishing this trip. 
And I imaged myself coming into the driveway in Vancouver, which was our destination, and putting my arms up like this as if I had just won the Stanley Cup, right? Mm -hmm. It's pretty comparable. Anyways, yeah, in a way, to me it was, in my mind. Everything worked out. I remember going into the driveway. This is the part that surprised me, and, and maybe this is where you guys will uh, share some of your similar uh, experiences. Instead of that, yes, I experienced a complete bottoms out. It was almost depressing. It was, I didn't celebrate. There wasn't a, an ounce of me that, that, that said I was deflated. Uh, and I still to this day can't explain that sort of um, ironic or opposite reaction that I that I I got. It should have been a moment when I should have been up jumping up and down, screaming, "I did it! I did it!" And yet I felt like it was one of the saddest days of my life. <laughs> so I don't know if uh, what you what you can make of that's that's my misadventure number two, by the way. Uh, so no real danger. I think it's more an exhilarating event. Uh, but uh, I was interested to get to the end of it to see if you guys have ever reached a point where you expected to be way up and um, found yourself way down. Maybe just to like kind of recap your story is that you went through, congrats by the way, like that's a hell of a, an athletic feat to have gone through that. I don't know if I would have been able to get past Roger's pass, Um but maybe it's the realization that like, okay, I did all this. Where do I go from here kind of thing? Like, what can I possibly do that can top this near, not only near death experience, but just like I said, physical feat and accomplishment that you had this expectation or imaging of the greatest celebration ever. Maybe the fact that you couldn't drink affected it. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would have yeah. been crushing drinks after just finishing Roger's pass. That's oh. just me. I hope you did, I, but Vancouver, yes, I did. Okay. I, 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 I said, okay. I think I had three days of uh, medication to go, and I said, you know what? I'm calling. Yeah, it here. good call. <laughs> yeah, good yeah. call. But I'm yeah. trying to think off the top. I'm sure I have felt like that to a certain degree, where you're expecting to feel like a great sense of fulfillment and happiness but maybe it is just like i said earlier the realization of like okay how can i do something better than this or top this i don't know i don't have an example off the top um that's tough to think of right away but um that'd be my explanation for it that's i don't know if you i don't know what do you think matt yeah like i've never accomplished a feat of the, a physical feat of that magnitude pat but uh, what i'm maybe thinking is like the journey was better than the destination. And then when you got to your destination, you were like, oh, okay, now what? Or maybe you were just, I think you were just so physically drained, perhaps. Probably, um, yeah. But yeah. a journey versus destination thing is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And and uh, that did cross my mind. Uh, um, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those uh, moments where, I don't know if you've had that in your travels where, you anticipate uh, seeing something uh, like, I'll give you some of my examples. Uh, the Eiffel Tower, 
uh, and in, I romanticized about what it would be uh, in my head before seeing it. And then when I got there, I found it dirty and rusty and noisy, and uh, I was really disappointed. Uh, I, 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 the same thing happened to me in, uh, in Bethlehem, where uh, I was supposed to visit the, um, the, the, the place of Christ's birth. And you had to crawl through, you know, this, this space and, and you go in there and there's a little hole with a star around it. And I took a picture of it. And on the way out, somebody grabbed my money. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, that was, that was disappointing. I have, I have others like that. Oh, uh, I remember as a kid reading about, uh, the, 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 um, Middle East wars and, and, uh, reading news reports of, uh, the battle at Allenby Bridge, uh, that, that, was so uh, key to this uh, this war, and it it of course traversed the the mighty Jordan River. Well, I went to the Allenby Bridge on the mighty Jordan River, and guys, think Greens Creek. It's the the River Jordan ain't mighty and deep, at least not at the point that I saw. It was like one of the most uh, uh, disappointing moments where. You know the, the 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 bridge was like you could couldn't have two way traffic over it, but apparently this was a turning point battle that I remember reading about when I was a kid, and it it it, it all, I got all excited, and then when I actually saw it, it was uh, it wasn't what it what it was. Have you had that experience where you you hyped yourself up maybe to see something and it kind of let you down or yeah well there's like just off the top there I think it's a pretty classic example like seeing the Mona Lisa in the Louvre museum was definitely not as like amazing as they made it out to seem or as legendary <laughs> as it's become in pop culture and just society in general i'm glad i saw it but i can't say that i was blown away or anything there i was i mostly enjoyed everything else in the louvre more to be honest and would have wanted to spend i didn't even spend that much time around the the Mona Lisa, I just took some GoPro footage, picked a couple of pictures and was on my way. So that was a little disappointing in that sense. Very small too, eh? By dimensions, yeah. very small. A hundred percent much. Surprisingly small. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm sure there are some. I still think though overall that traveling, you definitely get a great sense of satisfaction out of like, I'm trying to think of sporting events that maybe we won, but I wasn't happy or something, but. I don't know. Can I tell? Can I tell you? I wasn't planning on telling this story, but it'll just take a couple of minutes. A sporting event that took place uh, when I was uh, fourteen. Uh, uh, do you mind if I slip it in here? Yeah, it was unplanned, sure. but, but as soon as you said it, I, I'm gonna. I, I think I'd like to share it with you guys. Uh, so uh, we were the bantam team from Cornwall, and we joined the uh, big uh, bantam tournament in. Um, uh, what's it, what's the name of the place? Uh, uh, I think it's called Rosemount uh, at the Paul Sovi Arena. It holds about 4,000 people. And uh, this was about a 50-team tournament, and it was two weekends. And um, on the first weekend, we went into the dressing room, and uh, this was the first time this had ever happened to me, but uh, a doctor came into the dressing room. And uh, he, uh, in French, said, Il faut que je passe... So the coaches, they didn't, you know, some of us spoke French, some of us didn't. And they said, yeah, yeah, okay. So anyways, the, the doctor basically went around to each player. And I, I swear this is the truth, guys. 
Uh, so the, I, I'll, I'll have to figure out what year this was. It was 1960 something. But anyways, uh, he goes over to the first guy and he says, okay, to the guy, stand up. And uh, you had to stand up. And he grabbed your testicles and he said, cough. And uh, so the the first player coughs. Seems legit. And we're all, <laughs> we're, 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 we're looking, you know, we're looking around. And what's this? Do we have to go through this? And uh, then he says, okay. And then he just listened to their chest a couple of times. Says, okay, sit down. And he went to the next one. He went to the next one. You know, same same deal every time. Cough, yeah, ta ta ta. Okay, cough, yeah, ta ta ta. And then he got to me, and he he took my testicles. He goes, cough, and I coughed. He says, oh, that's okay. And then he he puts the stethoscope up on my chest, and he moves it, and he moves it, and he moves it. He says, okay, de redressement, fais de redressement. So. I'm going by now the whole dressing room we've got the attention of the whole dressing room right uh including my father who was in in the dressing room at the time and uh, he so he says he asked me to do the push-up so I did 10 push-ups boom 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 and up on my feet and he's he goes around to my back and then he says okay celui-ci joue pas which uh, for your listeners it's like okay this guy's not playing and everyone, I, I could still hear my father's voice above every, but every other parent's voice saying, what the fuck? You know, why not? And the, he was a, French, a francophone, so he said, well, he, he has a thing. He has a thing. And I'm sure that's the everybody was term. like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh, doctor, please use, <laughs> please use a, a less scientific terminology, right? So... <laughs> <laughs> so, so I remember my dad saying, what the hell is a ting? And so he said, un murmure cardiaque. So at, at, uh, I found out at that point that I had a heart murmur. So anyways, my family doctor was Ricky Parisian. He was also on the team. His dad, he was in the dressing room. They huddled up. And I remember putting my head down like this. And, and it's funny, eh? that, that it shows you where you're your your priorities are the f what was worrying me the most was that I wasn't going to play I didn't even know what a, a mur heart murmur was that surely wasn't anything good uh but you know I was thinking shit I'm not going to play priorities at that age right playing yeah, in a bantam yeah, yeah, tournament yeah. versus worrying about your long-term health and care yeah. <laughs> right so part two of this story that's the first weekend we won our games we go back to Cornwall Dr. Parisian writes me a note, you know, problem, you've got what's called a benign heart murmur. As long as it doesn't change, you've got it for life, it's fine. The, go back down to, to uh, uh, um, Rosemount. Night, we win our game, we win a game Saturday. Wow, we're down to the final four. And we're playing a team that's called the uh, Hunsick Braves. And the Hunsick Braves, I remember I used in Cornwall, I used to watch them on TV on Saturday afternoons. They were like top shit, you know. <laughs> they were it. They were a great team. So um, we didn't think too much of our chances, but we got out there anyways. And uh, I remember on one shift, um, uh, I played defense, left defense. So on, on one shift, 
they they just turned things around on us and they came at us on uh, on a wave of three on two. Our guys were caught. The centermen fed the the right winger, and the right winger put on a little bit of speed, and I got kind of stuck. But and as a small kid, I'd learned though that angling a, a player off is is a is a great strategy, and it can end up being. You know, you, you can make yourself feel like Zadino Chara uh, if you angle a person off right. Anyways, I took number 16 uh, of the Hunsik Braves into the boards, and he was like, <laughs> he, he rolled and, and ended up on the ice. So he jumped up, he dropped his gloves, and he started swinging. And before I could even think, uh, I, 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 I had to drop my gloves, and I'm swinging away. I know I caught him once, but we both threw punches, right? So they break us up and they put us in into the penalty box. And uh, then you hear the announcer, uh, Punition uh, au numéro 6 uh, de Cornwall et au numéro 16 des Braves de Hansik. Deux minutes chacun pour Rudesse. Wow, two minutes for roughing? We were, we were throwing them, you know. An insult. I, yeah. So... Listen, this was the first uh, tournament where after two periods, you actu we actually got to go into our dressing room. This was hot shot uh, times and they, they flooded the ice. And so I went into the dressing room where we're sitting around and I said to my, my, my buddy, Bob Rao, I said, wow, I can't believe we just got two minutes for roughing. I thought that was a, a five minute major fight. And one of the coaches says, said to me, he says, yeah, but uh, there's no way they were gonna have number 16 off the ice for five minutes. I said, why? He wasn't that good. He said, no, but his name is Normand Richard, the son of the rocket Richard. No wow. way. Wow. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> nice hockey claim to fame there. As my, my, my brush with fame in sports was, was, uh, was throw, dropping them with uh, uh, Normand Richard. So that was... Uh, yeah, that was... Uh, sorry, I, I didn't intend on telling that. Uh, no, it's all uh, good. But when you, you, mentioned, you mentioned sports, so I, I, I don't want to take no, us off track. It was track. organic, hey guys, for sure. Yeah. I'm, I, Eric, I'm looking at the time. I, if I've got, uh, I've got these, these uh, outlines here for, for sharing with you on uh, my two trips to Russia. But if we get going on this, it, we could be going down into a rabbit hole. I'll totally leave it up to you if you wanted to uh, switch over to uh, to art and want to talk that. Um, it's it's totally up to you. I would like to talk about art, but Matt, did you have any questions you wanted to ask Pat before we get off like the traveling topic, like destination related or just le lessons or whatever? Did you have anything that you wanted to ask before we go on? Well, Pat actually answered one of my questions already unintentionally because one of my questions was going to be stuff that when you actually saw it was disappointing. So we kind of already touched on that. But yeah. my my last question would have just been like, what's the least favorite country he's traveled to? Or like top three least favorite. Least favorite. Wow. Yeah, like what an interesting question. Huge disappointments. Oh, a disappointment. Oh, wow. Oh. Or you had an you know, image of that place as great. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. And listen, the, our, our most recent trip was to Greece. It's funny because when I left to go to Europe uh, and, and stayed there for three years and my all my friends were saying, what's the first place you're going to go to? And I said, Greece. 
Uh, I went everywhere in Europe, every country in Europe, and even uh, went to uh, uh, Turkey and Yugoslavia and, and, and Israel and, of course, um, behind the Iron Curtain into, into Russia. But I didn't get to Greece. Uh, now, a couple of months ago, Nicole and I, my, my wife, your aunt Nicole, we, um, we went to Greece. And it always had this uh, elite kind of status in my imagination. I wasn't deeply disappointed with it. But it didn't meet the expectations. It, it was kind of repetitive and it was kind of touristy. We did some stuff that was uh, off, the, off the tourist track that uh, I really enjoyed. But uh, high... Uh, High Disneyland factor that I didn't expect, you know, like that that oh, push, okay. push, give me your money uh, here to do this. Hey, get over here. Uh, yeah, that, that was a little disappointing for me. But to tell you the truth, I don't think I've ever traveled anywhere and come back deeply disappointed. I may have been deeply disappointed by an isolated event during there, but uh, uh, I, I don't think uh, I I'm, have ever been disappointed with uh, with a trip. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. Um, I'm trying to think of another country because I want to answer that question as well. Um, other than this one, because like you said, Pat, as far as countries that have the elite status attributed to them, to me, I don't know, you might think this is crazy. Um, I went there two years ago with Andy, like when I did a, a pretty big Euro trip, five countries in a row. I was there with my girlfriend, Andy, and the, that was the last country on our list was Spain. We went to Barcelona, and it's definitely not to say we had a bad time in Spain, but it just wasn't as amazing as everyone hyped it up to be. And I think a contributing factor, too, is that it was at the end of our trip. We had just came back from Croatia. In, actually, on the flight there, we kind of had a near-death experience because there was some. Our flight kept getting delayed, like crazy into the night, and then there was some insane turbulence that Andy can tell oh. you about because I was sleeping on her shoulder and slept right through it. So she was panicking, oh. and I was just out like a light. But that <laughs> kind of kicked off our trip to Spain on the wrong foot, and then we got to our hostel, and this marked our decision to never go into hostels again, where we got there late, we were exhausted. The bed that was supposed to be mine was a bunk bed and the gentleman sleeping below my deck, my bed, I mean, had, I'm not even kidding, the most pungent, disgusting odor coming from his <laughs> bed, moldy oh. cheese. And he had stuff <laughs> on my bed, just drying. So I had to go in, Andy's single bed on a bunk where there was someone sleeping below her. We were like head to foot. So we were just super uncomfortable. And then later in the night, these three or four guys, I don't even know, came in just causing a ruckus. They were yelling in our hostel. The Australian accent just, we barely slept that night. And I think that just set us off on the wrong foot. But other than that, we didn't do that much in Barcelona. Like we didn't go out as much. So if I were to think of a country that was a bit of a letdown, it'd be that. But still great times there. Obviously, like we, I can't yeah. say I didn't, we didn't have a good time on the trip, but that'd be a letdown personally. And I think yeah. she would agree with me on that one. What about you, Matt? Have you uh, have you had any uh, disappointments or uh, no? Are there no, places I ha I that have, you would? 
I haven't traveled as much as you two, so everywhere I've been, I've just been grateful to be there and enjoyed every moment of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I guess we can segue into the second part of our conversation with you, Pat, um, which I alluded to earlier, is that on social media lately... I've been, we've been seeing a lot of your works of art that you've been posting, which are some beautiful paintings. And I'd like to pick your brain a little bit into what got you inspired to start painting. When did you start painting? If you could just set the, or paint that portrait for us, if you will, sure. just to, <laughs> as to when and who Alrighty. inspired you as well. If a friend or Diz maybe, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but, uh, so I guess uh, if I if I look upon it, and basically I've only been uh, painting for a little over a year now. So uh, when we say painting, um, you know, these are uh, small learning steps I'm taking. Uh, I wish I would have started uh, as a child and kept going. I, I sometimes wish I, that's what I would have done with my life because there, I could go on painting for an eternity and you'd still learn something. It's it's. Uh, it's just the, one of the most fascinating holes I've fallen into in in my life that, uh, uh, and and I and I'm just I've just fallen. So I, I'm not going to be able to tell you too much. But uh, so a, a lot of the things that happened, uh, I, I'm going to have to say thanks to Camille, uh, who is uh, uh, our son Dylan's uh, girlfriend. And two Christmases ago, she bought me some brushes and some canvases, and and I I started dabbling and. Um, then I ran into this instructor, and uh, uh, he he's taken me, uh, you know, to where I am right now. Uh, so there's that that was the immediate uh, sort of uh, entry in, into this. Uh, and I go back. So as a teacher, I I, I uh, criticized this a lot. Uh, I, I took a three-year uh, specialist in visual arts, uh, and and I, I, I criticized the course a lot. But I did learn a lot, and I only realize that you know x number of years later but here's the here's the part that i think is going to be um um i find curious but anyways i i still feel this is uh something that uh signals uh to me that uh, i i i wanted to paint so when i was a kid in grade four uh we lived in sherbrooke quebec and um, we had a, a house there. And the 50s are really underrated uh, for um, the, the, the visuals that, that accompanied that time. Like all the houses had this, you know, wild uh, kitchen counters and, uh, uh, and, and, and adults bought uh, furniture that had all these patterns and striking uh, uh, colors and heavily saturated uh, all, bold you know uh oh yeah it was just and curtains and and everything was like uh almost like living in a pop art environment which included our bathroom floor and when i would go in to the bathroom and sit down and again uh i'm risking the too much information factor again but uh you know when 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 um, your digestive system doesn't cooperate the way you... That's <laughs> how she goes in you the think, bathroom. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you, you know, you end up spending time in there that, and wasting time. So I remember the floor uh, on, our, on our place in, in Sherbrooke. 
And, and I remember when things weren't happening on the toilet, as a kid, I just put my elbows on my knees like this and rest my head in my, in my hands, and I stared down on, on this wildest of patterns. It was a tessellation uh, that included, I'm sure it included 10 different colors. It was, um, it, it was vertigo producing is what it was. Uh, it, and so I remember sitting there and staring at it and this is not helpful for your listeners, but I'm moving my hands like this now because after a while of staring at it, the colors started, you know, overlapping and moving. Like some and three D art kind of thing. It was a freebie art thing, and uh, and my my I remember my mother not being too happy with how many times I would go in and have a freebie art session in there because <laughs> I, I got to enjoy it and I'd go in there and sit there and and have this visual effect happen to me. And, and it, it, that led to, it's just like drugs, it led to bigger and, and, and worse, uh, heavier things. <laughs> uh, remember, remember, those, remember those cartoons where they, they had one side by side and you had to find the differences? Yep, classic. Yeah, I love those. And I, I used to do this, uh, go left or right. Ah, there it is. Yeah. There it is. And I tried to beat my record. Well, now I find myself, I got this little uh, corner of the, the basement I find uh, that I call uh, uh, my studio, uh, but uh, it's where I go to paint. And the whole thing of painting is that you, you and, and in particular what I've fallen in love with is portraiture, is that you stare at something and then you're staring at a face, which is the subject. That's what I've been doing, faces. And you have to reach, like for me, I find anyways, and through the coaching that I'm getting is, you have to reach a point where you're not staring at a nose or a nostril or an iris or a earlobe. You're staring at a plane and a color and a form and a shape. And I'll come down now and sit and it'll be 9.30 and I will disappear until I hear Nicole say, hey, Pat, are you coming up for lunch? And I go, whoops. Uh, two and a half hours have gone by like like that, and I've fallen into, I'm sure, what's the equivalent of um, meditation of some kind, but I, time is just flashing by, and I, I'm just so grateful that I found this, that it takes me to that place. Uh, I don't look at faces the way I used to. <laughs> like I, if, if I, I look at faces now, it's it's like uh, dimensions and uh, and again planes and values and uh, I'm I find myself staring at people's earlobes and <laughs> and I and I worry that that, that they're going to say hey buddy. Uh, but uh, so yeah, that's that's base. I don't know where I, I became interested. I'm just just grateful that I am interested because it. Uh, it's, it's something. And, you know, uh, can I make a, a little connection here um, with the what we were just talking about, uh, travel? So I'm going to reach up here and, and uh, take down a, a, a painting I've, I've just finished. It's, it's, it's in black and white. And it's, uh, it's a scene that I, I put it on Instagram. And it's a scene... Uh, I, I don't know if you saw it on Instagram, and if you saw it, I don't know if you uh, recognize what it is. But it's a moment, this, this gentleman's name is Lee Harvey Oswald. 
And about 24 hours earlier, he had assassinated uh, President John F. Kennedy. So uh, it's 1963, and I came home after lunch, and they announced on TV, and it was going to be live, that they were taking him from a jail cell, and they were transferring him to another jail cell. And while we were watching this, this show, believe it or not, guys, Jack Ruby... Jack Ruby is the other player in this whole sort of conspiracy thing. Jack Ruby jumps out and shoots Oswald. And Oswald, that's why I've got his hand there. This is the moment when Oswald gets shot. Uh, it was, it's a moment that is frozen in my time as like, <gasps> you know, I was a kid and then when, <gasps> watching TV, I just saw a murder. And so my point is, as I'm painting this, I'm traveling. I'm traveling in time, and I'm going back, and I'm doing what we talked about, you know, like, like about events, and I'm and I'm and I'm seeing them in a different way. And uh, again, I'm just so grateful that I've found this uh, way of um, re. I don't know what it is even. Like I don't. I'm having. It's fun. And it's uh, it's a way of traveling, and not only in traveling, in in in, it's not displacing your body, but it's displacing your your mind. And so this is nine. I can go to 1963, and I spent, you know, four or five hours on this, uh, and disappeared in, in a time travel, yeah. if you will. And correct me if I'm so, wrong. I may be wrong here in assuming this, but it's not like when you set out to paint that famous moment in history that you immediately thought of yourself watching it on TV. Am I wrong in assuming that? No, you are absolutely right. Uh, I knew, so I've been choosing subjects that all have a, uh, that are important to me. So I've done, you know, people like Woody Guthrie and Jim Morrison. Uh, I just finished uh, Carlos Castaneda, you, Castaneda, I guess. Uh, you may not recognize that name, but he, he wrote uh, a series of books uh, in the 70s that turned my life upside down. So I take a subject that I have a connection with, and then I start. And uh, so you're absolutely right. It's not a question of, uh, uh, oh, I'm going to go. Very much like what we were saying, you can't plan an event when you're traveling, right? Well, you can't plan a destination, or I can't plan a destination when I'm painting. But when I'm painted Oswald or Guthrie or Morrison or Dylan and I, I start painting, I just kind of get sucked into that. And I don't even, I tell you the truth, when I'm finished, I don't even know what I was thinking of. Wow. It's a, so it's a bit of a, a, bit of a, it's a magical thing to it, you know. Um, now, uh, having, having said that, uh, I have a, a teacher who has taught me the classical approach. So you had the masters and you, you know, you, you saw the Mona Lisa and you, I'm sure you've seen all kinds of uh, uh, artworks from the masters and they had a process and a procedure. He's taught me that process and procedure, which me, which starts with, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, uh, readying the, readying the surface and then doing what's called a, uh, a block in and then doing a, a dead coat and then doing a first uh, uh, coat of, of color. Uh, I've got this one here. I'm, I'm going to hold it up. Uh, this, is, this one I've spent 30 some hours on. Wow. Uh, 
and I've still got another 20 to go, he tells me, because this is the third, the third stage of it. There's a fourth stage to come. Uh, I look forward to finishing it. My goal is to do a portrait of uh, Nicole, Sarah, and Dylan, maybe not in the same style, but I want it to be something that they would um, treasure. So I want to be good by the time I get to, to when I'm doing them, you know. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I don't know, even know if I've answered your question. I'm just rambling on uh, because I really don't have uh, too many answers. I probably have as many questions as you do about art. Uh, and, and that's the fun part of it. I don't think there's enough time left in my life to answer all of the questions. There's just such, uh, I'm so grateful for it. Well, well, I'll just take this opportunity. Like, I'm, I look forward to every post of your pictures, uh, Pat, and uh, guessing who they are because I don't always know, like, who's on them. And okay, so the uh, the last one, Pedro, what books did he okay. write? No, Carlos Castaneda. Carlos, sorry. <laughs> he 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 wrote a a series of books. That I think the first one was called uh, A Yaqui Way to Knowledge. Uh, and it uh, had a subtitle, I think, was called The Art of Dreaming. And uh, it was, a, maybe it's, it's on the same themes as we're talking about tonight, guys. It's, a, it's about uh, uh, shaking your, um, your, you out of your routines and, and, and forcing you to see things from a different perspective or, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of thing. He, um, it was a magical series of books. Uh, I would equate it to, I guess, uh, Game of Thrones uh, oh, wow. that you have now. It was that, that much of a phenomena in a subculture kind of way. Uh, so he wasn't popular. He hardly, uh, only at the very end did, did he allow to have his picture taken. He's a very mysterious guy. And they're very mysterious books. But I remember as a teenager one of the concepts that he had in his book was that everyone had a power spot. And um, so I remember uh, the idiot that I was I, I, looking for my power spot, you know, it was, it was just incredible. So in the end, no one is sure whether these uh, adventures that he writes about um, uh, with, with his, his number one character is called Don Juan. Uh, uh, no one is sure whether it's fiction or nonfiction. That's how good these books were. Uh, my bottom line is, I don't care. If it was nonfiction, wow. If it was fiction, wow. <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it, they're, they're really great books. So yeah, uh, Carlos Castaneda, and thank you, Matt. I tell you, I, I, uh, I started putting stuff on Instagram. I was a little shy about it, but uh, people have been very generous and very supportive and very encouraging. And as much as you like to think that, oh, I can just go and sit by myself and do this, it is really um, rewarding to hear people say, I like that, or, oh, I, you know, the eyes are good, or, oh, wow, you caught the forehead light, or something, anything like that. It really helps out. And uh, I always look forward to the, my next one. So uh, I'm thinking of doing J.D. Solinger, the author of The Catcher okay. in the Rye. Well, as a, as a big movie guy, I like all the the film directors you've done. Like, I know yes, you, yeah. Co you've done Coppola, Scorsese, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Well, of course, I have a 
I have that special moment where I met uh, Francis Ford Coppola yeah. in uh, San Francisco. That's so, right. So um, uh, I, I, yeah, I have to, I have to do him. And I, and of course I did Scorsese for my brother because my brother cannot stand Scorsese. <laughs> yeah, we're going to, I'm not going to get into that on here. <laughs> no, no, but I, I knew you'd swing us over to the movies though. Ah, <laughs> uh, well. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I, I, I guess a bit of a, a celebrity, um, freak in a way. I like they're all celebrities. They're all celebrities from the past for now, but, um, yeah, have you I'm, done? I'm so... Have you done like Jack Kerouac yet? I have. Uh, I have. Yeah. I did a, one of Jack Kerouac. I didn't post it oh, because okay, okay. I. What happened? And I'll I'll do another one. So with Jack Kerouac, I ended up uh, for some reason, the proportions were just out of proportion <laughs> to the point where uh, his head is like elongated nah. and it really is not a, a, a good job. But there you go again, Matt. There's a guy whose books were all about travel and all about seeing things, uh, all about how travel transformed him. You know, it's, uh, there's, I don't know. Uh, we're, we're, we've, yeah. we've been talking about it all night. I don't know if we're any closer to, to understanding it more, but there's something magical there that, uh, other people have uh, have uh, hooked into. Uh, on my list, though, of, of guys and girls to do, I've got uh, Hunter S. Thompson. I want to do him. He's the fear and loathing uh, thing. Uh, Kurt Von Gutt, uh, William Burroughs, and Robert Persig. Those are the next ones on my list. Those are authors uh, that I'm doing now that really uh, had an impact on me. Are you planning on eventually doing some portraits of people you know? Have you already done some portraits of people you know, like family members or? Yes, I've tried to do Nicole several times. Uh, and uh, so, you know, these postings that I put up, um, for every one I put up, there's three failures that, <laughs> oh. that I would be totally embarrassed to, uh, to share in any way. I'm, so I'm getting into charcoal now and I've done some fast charcoal stuff. Uh, that sometimes accidentally looks good, but to answer your question, yeah, I want to do I want to do people that I know if if they want to sit for me because um, that is uh, the best way I'm told. Uh, I'm going from photos now, but the best way is to have people sit. So Nicole is going to be is my number one ambition, and then if I get you know something acceptable an acceptable rendition of of her i'll move to dylan i've tried to do dylan geez i thought i was getting somewhere um when i was doing him and guys sometimes you um you see a painting and and, and it's and you're going you get so excited about it because you know you're nailing it and then half an hour later you've completely lost it and that's what happened to the dylan to not Bob Dylan, uh, Dylan Smith, uh, our son. Uh, I had him, man, I was feeling so good. I sent him the stage I was at. I, I thought, oh, this is looking so good. And then I just completely lost it. Uh, kind of comparable to the trip from Calgary to Vancouver. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> good connection. Um, uh, yeah. Hey, man, if you want. About, I'll be lying awake at night tonight thinking about that one. <laughs> man, if you want some more subjects, maybe we could get some. Uh, hoisters easy cross oh. brand merch who knows I'm always looking to diversify yeah, nice oh, yeah, t-shirt very nice t-shirt <laughs> that's awesome yeah. and i think 
where it all ties together art and traveling and stepping outside of your comfort zone and not looking for those new experiences. Like you said, when I asked what inspired you or why or when did you start painting, you said it was just some kind of freak accident that Camille, for some reason, gave you brushes. Oh, I think I might have hinted that she could do that, but yeah. Okay, I, let's go with my version. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But um, it's just like you were never expecting this sort of gratification and success, maybe. I don't know, but. It's just the greatest things happen when you're not expecting. I think that's a, a universal life lesson there. Yeah, you know, Eric, you've just nailed something. Uh, every time the, the canvas is blank in front of me and I'm about to start something, you're right. I am immediately outside of my comfort zone every time because I don't know if it's going to work in, to any degree or fail to any degree. But you're absolutely right. Every, uh, it's, it's, I don't know why, but I've fallen in love with the human face. That's all I'm doing. Uh, but every time I go to do a face, it's almost as if it's my first one and I don't know how to do anything. It's really outside, you're outside of your comfort zone every time. So that's kind of, that can kind of be related to the podcast. Like as comfortable, I think, as I am doing this and Matt, you can speak to this as well. I'm always a little nervous before, like you, you I, I always know it's going to go well. But you, there's still that classic, like, where are we going? And I don't know. I, I can relate to that on that level. Me too, 100%. Like, the anticipation's worse than actually doing it. It's like every day before I get to work, I don't, I'm a little, I don't feel too great. And as soon as I step into work, I'm fine. I know everything's going to be fine. So that's universal. I had a little, uh, I had a little, um, safety net that uh, I did a lot of presentations in, in the different roles that I played. Uh, and I used to have, uh, a, a, well, I still have it. It's, it's over there. It's a little clipboard. It's only about this big. And like yourselves, I would get up in front of the uh, audience and I would think, oh my God, how is this going to go? Am I going to fall flat in my face? Am I going to, I going to pee my pants? What's going to, what's going to happen? And on the back of that clipboard, I had, um, stuck, cut out and stuck, one from Sarah and one from Dylan from kids. And they both said, je t'aime, papa. And uh, before every presentation, all of my speaking notes were on one side. And then before I'd go out to speak, I'd just go, je t'aime, papa, je t'aime, papa. And everything was solid. Everything was okay. Because nothing was more important than that, you know? Yeah, it's great. Yeah. That was going to be my next example as well. When Matt talked about going into work, me too, it's the exact same thing. Like I'm fairly competent at presentations, but it's every time, night before, never sleep well, nervous the morning, right up until I actually start up. And I think I do need something like that. Maybe when I have kids, I'll get them to tell me they love they love me and uh, write it down. But uh, until then, I'm gonna have to figure something out because those nerves—it's just—it's I don't know—it's human nature, I guess. And and, and maybe something uh, very important and good too. Uh, I think you learn to recognize it uh, that it it what used to be uh, a negative nervous feeling is now just a signal from your body saying that you believe what you're doing is important. Well, we've certainly touched on a lot of deep stuff on this one. And uh, 
I don't know. I didn't really have any other. I actually did have a few more painting things, but now we've gone into so much bigger stuff that uh, I feel like it just wouldn't be right to keep going. <laughs> I think it's unless we had more that we wanted to touch on. I think that's a good way to wrap it all up. Um, Uncle Pat, the incredible stories and well, we were able to link everything together. Just it's been a pleasure having you on. A blast hearing about your stories. I know you have tons more. We'll have to do a part two down the road. So uh, any parting words for the audience? Well, maybe parting words to you guys. Uh, thanks for having me. And to be very honest with you, that nervousness that you uh, alluded to, that we alluded to uh, just a few minutes ago, I had it tonight before we started this podcast. And uh, uh, I was nervous. Uh, and uh, But... Um, I guess this uh, not only was enjoyable, but hopefully it was important to a certain degree to be able to share it with you, and, and hopefully some of your listeners will, will enjoy it. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. I, I, I truly appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Pat. You're an incredible storyteller, and it was just a pleasure listening to you, and I could do it all day. Like I've heard some of your other stories, and hearing these new ones was a pleasure. Yeah, all, all right. right. Thanks, guys. So that's been awesome. Uh, thanks a lot to everyone for listening. Stay tuned for episodes dropping every other Monday, and hopefully everyone's continuing to stay safe. And yeah, peace.